thank you, God, for your goodness to us tonight. And God, we do thank you most of all for the blood that stained the old rugged cross. Lord, thank you, God, for paying for our sins. God had a sin debt, God, we couldn't take care of, but God, Lord, you took care of it for us through the blood of your dear son. God, thank you, Lord. We praise your name for that. And God, thank you, Lord, and through that, making all of this possible. Church and worshiping God, Lord, and, and listening to preaching God. Lord, I love these things. God, I love church. God, I love this kind of church. God, I, I love God being able to come to church and not endure it, but enjoy it. God, I love coming to church, Lord, and learning something from the scripture. And so God, I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to your people's hearts tonight. God, help me, Lord. I, I got some things, Lord, some things, Lord, that I believe you put on my heart and mind. But God, if you don't help me to explain it, well, God, I'm going to get these folks all confused. And God, Lord, I don't believe you get any glory out of that. God, I pray, Lord, that you help me be clear. Help these to understand clearly. God, give me liberty tonight, I pray, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs 22, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 3, the Bible says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Now, I would read that twice, but I'm not going to. But I will tell you that if you don't have that verse memorized, you should memorize it. And I'll tell you partly why. Because if you memorize it, then that means you've also memorized Proverbs 27, verse 12. Look over there with me. Proverbs 27, verse 12. Lo and behold, it says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. I figure if the Lord says it twice, he must really want you to pay attention to what he's saying. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. It kind of reminds me, I've been reminiscing a lot today about my mama. It kind of reminds me what my mama used to say, don't make me tell you again. I mean, a lot of that's missing these days, and that's why kids is in the shape that they're in. That's why adults is in the shape that, that's why Congress is in the shape that it's in. Because mamas need to drive up there inside the D.C. Beltway and tell them, don't make me tell you again. I straighten a lot of that garbage out. But anyways, uh, we don't want to get too sidetracked on that. I, I lose my bearings and won't be able to preach a good sermon. So look at here. He says, a prudent man foreseeth the evil. You can look in Proverbs 22 or Proverbs 27. You see the same thing. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked up the word prudence in, in the word prudent or prudence in the Bible, but prudence has to do with wisdom, which is largely what the book of Proverbs is about, but it also has to do with having wisdom and being cautious. Yes, sir. Prudence is understanding and knowing that on Highway 40, there's a bunch of cars that drive on Highway 40. But it's not very prudent for you to just walk out and skylark across Highway 40 and hang out on the dotted line. That's not very prudent. It's wise. It's good for you to understand that there's cars on there. It's good for you to understand that you shouldn't let your doggies walk on Highway 40. But it's really prudent for you to ensure that your little doggie don't walk on Highway 40. It's, in, it's prudent to make sure that you stay away. You say, what is it? That's caution. The Bible talks about in the book of Ephesians, it talks, it talks about how that you as a Christian, you, so who are you talking to? You, you as a Christian, me as a Christian, we're supposed to walk circumspectly. That's looking every which way at any given time. You say, what is that? That's being cautious. 
I know I've said it here before, and I really just, I kind of enjoy the, the, the mindset, the thought process. I, I really, I like people. I really do like people. I just don't like being around a whole lot of people, usually, all at one time. God has really had to help me with that being a pastor, and I really do enjoy it more now than I used to. But my wife is witness to this. I really have a hard time going out to town during the day. I just don't like to be around so many people at any given time. It just stresses me out, especially with my kids. You say, that's because your kids stress you out. No, it's because I'm worried. I'm just, I'm, I'm concerned about my kids. And if you don't look at things that way, I'm not telling you to do so. You probably won't be able to enjoy life. But when I go sit down in a restaurant, I pay attention to what's going on. You say, why? I don't know. I just, <laughs> I'm not sure I'll be able to do anything about it. But I mean, at least if I know somebody's holding up the joint, I'd like to be able to ascertain what I can do in the meantime. You say, what is that? That's being cautious. It's being cautious. When I get ready to go into a place, I look around. When I get ready to go into a place and the place looks run down, talking about a store, the place looks run down, a restaurant, it looks run down, and there's cockroaches running across the floor and maybe a mouse over there in the corner and, you know, food still sitting on the table where the last three guests have come and spilled their spaghetti or whatever. Prudence screams and says, you should probably not eat here. And I'm going to say, okay. Turn around and leave. That's just prudence. You say, well, you're being judgmental. Okay. You see which way we're going with this. It's prudence. Prudence is caution united with wisdom. That's right out of Webster's Dictionary. And Webster's not inspired, but he must be close. Pretty smart fellow. But anyways, I mean, he came up with all these words that you speak. (laughs) He didn't really. That was a joke. But he did compile a dictionary that you know, defines all of those things. But it's prudence. It's prudence. Well, you, you have to exercise some caution. You have to exercise some caution. I preached to you this morning out of, out of Proverbs chapter 16, commit your works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. And then tried to lead you over to Second Chronicles chapter 20 this morning talking about this guy Ahaziah, Ahab's boy, and Jehoshaphat who tried to join himself in really a bad union with this boy. And it really messed him up. It messed him up. The Bible said that he made these ships to go down to Tarsus. Not going to try and re-preach that sermon tonight, but he made these ships to go down to Tarsus in alliance with Ahaziah. And a preacher came to him and said, you shouldn't have joined yourself with this fellow because you have God's broken your works. God broke them. God just <laughs> broke them right in the half. Well, see, what, what, what he didn't have is he didn't have some prudence. Jehoshaphat didn't have some prudence. Yes, sir. This, this fellow, Jehoshaphat, he should have learned from dealing with a man by the name of Ahab that it doesn't pay to be spiritual yourself or to love God yourself and then yoke yourself up with people that don't love God. You say, well, how are they going to get help, Brother Nathan, if we don't hang around them? Invite them to church. Witness to them. Tell them, tell them about the gospel. Tell them that Jesus is, wants to save them. And te- I mean, tell them whatever you know about the scripture. Help yourself. But that don't mean that you got to go sit down with them and have dinner with them. There's a lot of folks that I love. I, I really do. I love them with all of my heart. I got family members I love with all of my heart. And if, if push came to shove, if something come to find out that they needed some help, I'd be there the best I could. I'd drop everything that I could and run to help them. But after that, I'm going to separate myself just the same way that I was before they needed help. You say, why? Prudence. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but somebody will look at that and say, oh, you're bitter. 
No, I'm prudent. Amen. The Bible says right here in Proverbs 22, it says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil. He's got some foresight. That's something that my generation has very little of. Have no foresight. I set it up in Brunswick earlier today. Uh, I don't recommend for you to start saving for retirement when you're 80. That's a bad idea. You know what that is? That's no foresight. It just, that's not going to work too well. You'll be, you'll be saving for naught because you're going to have to be spending. You need some foresight. Uh, you young folks that are sitting in here this evening, you know what you need? You need some foresight. You know what the problem is? You ain't got none. That's why God gave you parents. Because they do. They've been, they've been where you're at. You need some foresight. A prudent man foreseeth the evil, and he hides himself. With this fellow who's trying to exercise some caution, he looks out way out yonder, and he says, you know, this road that I'm on, it's going to lead me to a bad place. This road that I'm on, these decisions that I'm making, these alliances that I have, these folks that I'm fellowshipping with, this is going to turn out to hurt me. I don't know exactly how it's going to turn out to hurt me, but I know that this is not going to turn out to my benefit. Brother Mark McGahey years ago was preaching at a church not too far from here, and he made this comment. I'll never forget it because of the place where I was at my life at that time. He made this comment. He said, if you join yourself with insincere people, you are going to get burned. Never forgot it because it's true. You'd yoke yourself up with insincere people, and you are going to get burned. It's only a matter of time. Well, a prudent man sees that. He, for, he sees that before it comes, and he looks at it, and he says, I better hide. Not because he's a coward, but that's because that's what wise men do. Why get yourself in a situation to where you have to get in armed force if you don't have to? I hope every single one of you fellows sitting in here this evening, I hope you really are a man's man. I really hope you are. I hope you're a man's man. I hope if somebody invades your house at 3 o'clock in the morning, you don't push your wife out to the side and make her go see what went bump in the night. I hope you're the one that gets up with the shotgun, having already instructed your kids to stay on the floor. Yes, sir, don't get out until I come get you. And clear the house, man. Do what you've got to do. But why do that? If you could lock your doors. I mean, now, if you live where Brother Curtis lives, you live out in the country. And really, it's a free country. If you don't want to lock your doors, don't lock them. If somebody comes in, shoot them. I mean, you ought to have sense enough to know, don't walk in somebody's house at 3 o'clock in the morning unless you live there. But I'm trying to get a point across to you. You see what I'm saying? A prudent man says, I should lock my doors. And I really don't care whether you lock your doors or not. I hope you don't get upset with me. If you do, you get over it. But you'd see what I'm, you see what I'm trying to get across to you tonight. You see the point I'm trying. A prudent man foresees the evil. Well, here's, here's some folks that I could yoke myself up with. But, you know, I've yoked myself up with them about four times in the past. And it has never turned out to my benefit or anybody else's. Probably just going to stay away from them. Oh, you're bitter. No, <laughs> I'm not bitter. I'm smart. 
Oh, Brother Nathan, I, you know, I've got some folks in my past, and this is the application that I'm making tonight. Because I feel like some people look at, at people who have gotten in touch, they have yoked themselves up with certain folks and got burned, and those people purposed in their heart, man, I'm not getting in, I'm not keeping in contact with those people ever again. And they get pressure on the outside from some idiot who ain't never read his Bible. They get pressure from the outside, and it usually comes in the form of this. Well, you're bitter. Well, that's possible. That's possible. It is a possibility. If you yoked yourself up with somebody and got burned, it is possible that you're bitter. And if you're bitter, you really need to get that thing right with God. You're not going to have any peace in your heart until you get right with God. But once you get that bitterness taken care of and then you look at it and say, I'm still not going down there to have dinner with him. I'm still not going to have ice cream. That's not bitterness. That is prudence. Amen. Amen. Bible says a prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Now, you've heard that term simpletons. Well, that fellow, he's just, he's pretty simple. Well, the Bible praises simplicity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about, he talks about godliness. He talks about uh, sincerity and God, or, or simplicity and godly sincerity. He talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, I, I'm concerned about you, Corinthians, lest Satan should beguile you as he did Eve from the simplicity which is in Christ. I, I think we all can understand that. You can really make life too complicated. You, you can do that. You can let the devil make things way too complicated for you. Some things in life are just black and white. It's right. It's right for boys to like boys and girls to like girls. That's black and white. That, it's just because that's what the Bible says. It is right for you not to gossip. It is, it is right for you to be in church when the doors are open. You see, those things are black and white. But do you know that there are some things in life that are a little complex? You know what complicates things? Sin. That, that's what complicates things in my life. That's what complicates things in your life. I don't care who you are sitting in here tonight. That's what complicates things in my life and in yours. And listen, there's sometimes some things are complicated, and you can't do nothing to simplify them. You've got to figure it out. You've got a jigsaw called life, a jigsaw puzzle sitting right in front of you. You've got to figure out how to put the pieces together and find some direction. That's gonna, that direction that you need is going to require prudence at times. Yes, sir. Well, a man that's simple, he doesn't foresee the evil, or he foresees the evil, and he just goes right on, and he's punished. He's punished. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, go, go back there to Proverbs chapter 1 and look at what the Bible says in verse 4. Proverbs chapter 1, he's giving you the intent of why the book of Proverbs, Solomon's giving you the intent of why he's writing the book of Proverbs. And he says in verse 4, he says to give subtlety to the simple. Subtlety to the simple. Subtlety to the simple. Now that subtlety, that's not quite the same as Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, and Jonadab was a very subtle man. They're not quite the same. They're similar. They're close, but they're not quite the same. One is really a bad way. One is really, he's a deceitful man. But this subtlety that he's talking about here in Proverbs chapter 1 is something that you need as a person. It's something that you need as an individual. You need some subtlety. You say, what is that subtlety? Well, when you look it up in the dictionary, it 
has next to it fineness. You take something that's real fine, man. Uh, let me see if I can find this thing right here. You see this thing? This is really a poor illustration, but that's about the only thing that I got. Now, you hold it up this way. That's not very fine, but you hold it up that way. If I could hold it perfectly straight and all you could see was just a little line right there, that's real fine. Man, that's from, from this side over here to this side over here is not very far. Just that tissue. That's fine. And so what that is, is that's a, that's a sense of subtlety. So when you're talking about Proverbs, is talking about in Proverbs 1 verse 4, it's talking about to give subtlety to the simple. That's the ability of a, of a man who's really, he just, he not, it's not that he's brain dead. It's not that he's uh, willfully ignorant. He's just simple. It's like taking a little kid. A little kid doesn't know all the danger that's out there. He just doesn't know. It's not that he's an idiot. It's not that he's stupid. It's just he hasn't lived long enough to learn. He hasn't lived long enough to learn that if you put your hand on the, on the stove while it's glowing red, something bad's going to happen. That's what mom and daddy's there for. Hey, don't do that. Why? Probably sound like some teenagers, I guess. Why? But something bad's going to happen. Well, what you need is you need that subtlety. You need that subtlety to be able to recognize that there's a difference between things. Those things, things on this side are not the same as that side. Although they look close. Yeah. Let me give you an illustration of this because I know we've got a bunch of snake lovers in here. I was waiting for some ladies to pass out right there. <clears throat> there is a snake that has red Black and yellow. His name is the king snake. You thought I was going to say the other one, didn't you? We'll talk about him in a second. Well, we'll go ahead and talk about him right now. Well, his name's the king snake. And you know what? That king snake is harmless. Now, you may not like him, but he's harmless. And you say, well, I'm going to put him to death anyway. You help yourself. I won't, I won't tell the Okie Finokie police. <laughs> You help yourself. You do what you want to. I don't recommend you do it out on the refuge. You'd probably uh, be in prison for a couple of years, <clears throat> which is a different story. It kind of makes me mad. But nonetheless, there's that king snake. But the king snake has somebody that almost looks very similar to him. Yeah. You know what colors he has? Red, black, and yellow. Oh, well, they must be the same, Brother Nathan. That is a deadly mistake. They, they look close. They look very similar. And so they have a little ditty. They have a little poem. And you have probably heard 15 different versions within the last 500 years. But the one that I know is red on yellow, kill a fella. Red on black, venom lack. I think my wife is red on black, you're okay, Jack, or something crazy like that. But it, you got all that. She from California. Don't hold that against her. But... <laughs> She was born in California, raised in Missouri. I think we can get over that now. All right. She didn't bring none of that liberal ideology to my house. I know that. Let's ship her back. Just make it. I'm checking y'all's temperature. I'm putting the thermometer in your mouth to see if you're still here and still okay. But it's a deadly mistake to take those two things and put them close together and say, well, they must be the same. Red touching yellow. Red on yellow. That's bad. Red on black, you're okay. Well, they must be the same. They must be real close. Uh, there's another snake, and I, I don't remember what it is. It, it, I think it's like a hognose snake or it's some kind of water snake. 
And man, that thing looks just like a cotton mouth. I ran across them out in my yard. When, when it rains out at our yard out on Spanish Creek, our yard is under water. And the first year we was living out there, I had a lab and he was out there and he found about four water moccasins out there, or at least what I think was water moccasins. I found out a couple of years later, hey, there's this snake that looks like a water moccasin, and it's hard to tell the difference. Got that dark brown skin almost, head is almost shaped like a viper's head, but he's really harmless. But I killed them all anyway. I didn't want to take a chance. You say, well, you know, you could get out there and say, oh, this is one of those water snakes. It's okay. Well, if you don't know how to spot the difference, if you don't have that subtlety, you're a simple man. Oh, he's making fun of me. No, I'm talking about something that's common to all of us. Very possible what you really lack is you lack that ability to tell the difference between others, between two things. <clears throat> Let me say this. This is not what I'm really preaching about tonight, but I will throw this in here right here, right now. We tout ourselves at this church, and I say tout ourselves, but we, I'm proud of the fact that I am of the old-time persuasion, the old-time way. There are some folks that say, oh, we're old-fashioned. And when you go to their services, you sit in their churches, and it sounds real similar. But it ain't the same. You say, how do you know? Because I don't see the same results out of that ministry that I see out of this other one that really is old-timey. That's just all there is to it, folks. I mean, you can, you can judge something by the fruit that it produces. I'm a pastor. Oh, really? Well, what kind of fruit are you producing? Listen, I, I just say this. I know some folks have left this church, and they've gone away, and now they're pastoring churches. And I'll just say it this way. What does that prove? Just give it some time. Give it some time. And I say that because I believe some folks get real discouraged about that and say, well, man, things weren't done right and this wasn't done right. Well, first of all, don't worry about it. Trust God. God knows what he's doing. But I will say this. I will say this. Just because you get the position of a pastor, what difference does that make? Joel Osteen's a pastor. And listen, as much as I say that about somebody else, I have to apply that to myself. I have to get out on my knees every day when I'm praying and say, God, I know I'm in the position, but God, help me to come, with, come up with the goods. Help me to come up with the power. I'm not talking about in myself, but I'm just saying, hey, you can, you can say, you can wear the label, you can wear the name tag. You know, these fellows come up on your door. Hey, we're with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm elder so-and-so, even though I'm 18 years old. Uh, okay, you can wear the name tag that says independent Baptist preacher. You can wear the name tag that says pastor. You can wear the name tag that says evangelist. But let's look at the results. I've said it before, and I'm, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to call a name. So just go ahead and just get, get tight on me if you want to. But a lot of folks that really fall in love with this guy, C.T. Townsend, you, you like him, you help yourself, but I'm telling you, his ministry's not producing the same thing that a ministry like 
Mike Easter's ministry and Alan Ryman's ministry and Glenn Stalker's ministry and Mark McGee, it just doesn't produce the same thing. You know what it produces? It produces little floozies that wear short skirts up their hind end and run into church and act like everything's okay and wear 15 pounds of makeup so much that you don't even know who the individual is behind all the makeup. You can say what you want to say. They can say they're old-timey, but it doesn't produce the same results. It just doesn't. It doesn't produce the same results. You know what's going on? People like prudence. They lack this, they, they lack this subtlety, this ability to tell the difference between things that are not the same. There's another word for that. It's called discernment. Yes, sir. Some people have a gift for discernment. 1 Corinthians 12. When we get back to 1 Corinthians 12, we'll talk about that. Some people have a gift for that. They have a, a very good ability to discern between spirits that are not the same. The rest of us just going to have to learn. We're just going to have to bust our rear in in God's word and say, God, help me. I don't think I have that gift. I need some extra help in that area. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's a God's honest truth. A prudent man foresees the evil, but the simple pass on and are punished. They're, they pass on and they're punished. So a simple man's a man without subtlety. He's a man that doesn't have that ability. He doesn't have that ability to tell the difference between things. Well, that prudence, let me tell you something, that prudence can be gained by experience. Some people just, it's almost like they have it just built in. And some of that, I believe, Brother Tommy, just comes from Bible reading. Open up your Bible and start pouring over that Bible like you're pouring over Fox News. Yep. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Open up that Bible and start pouring over that Bible like you're pouring over Facebook. Yep. You got all this discernment about what's going on in everybody else's life, but you ain't got no discernment about what's going on in your life, and that's because you're spending more time in everybody else's business on Facebook than you are having your face in the book and letting God show you something about your life. You don't have no answers for nobody else. Get some answers about your life, man. Get, your, get answers about your life. God will help you. You can't help nobody if you, if you ain't helped. That's a God's honest truth. That's a God's honest truth. Well, some of that prudence that's just came down from the heavens right there. But that prudence can be gained by experience. Some of it can be gained just by the word of God. Some of it's gained by experience. That discernment, that subtlety, it can be gained by experience. Old Laban got in touch with old Jacob. Jacob was a shyster. But you know what? Jacob, as much as a shyster as he was, he had God's hand on him for Abraham's sake, for Isaac's sake, but he had God's hand on him. And you know what Laban told him? Jacob got two of his daughters. He married two of his daughters. Poor sap. He got ready to leave, got ready to leave town. And Laban came to him and said, where are you going? He said, well, I'm, I got these two girls You've punished me with two of your daughters. I'm getting ready to leave town. And he says, no, man, you need to hang around here. He said, I've learned by experience that the Lord's blessed me for your sake. He said, I've learned by experience. I'm looking at the sheep, and I'm looking at the oxes, and I'm oxen, whatever it might be. I'm looking at what all of these animals, all of these things, that, and, man, God's blessing me for your sake because you're here. Don't leave. Well, you know, I've learned by experience that it don't matter who I yoke up with. Sometimes I can yoke up with a certain individual or a certain group of folks, and it don't matter what takes place. It don't matter what they say. I don't get a blessing. I get hurt. 
So you know what prudence says? Stay away, dummy. But Brother Nathan, they're saved and they're Christians. I hate it. I really do. Of course, I'm getting to the point to where I'm just looking at it and saying, it is what it is, man. I can't help it that they're backslid. Yes, sir. You're bitter, Brother Nathan. See how quiet it got right there? I kind of almost relish in that. Not bitter. I have been. God helped me with it. God helped me get over it. God helped me get past it. But you know what it is for me to look at somebody that I've yoked myself up with in the past 10 or 15 years and got burned, and then not only me, but maybe my mama yoked up with them, my daddy yoked up with them, my brother yoked up with them. And it's funny, we're all worse for having known them, for having been yoked up with them. You know what? I just make up my mind. I probably shouldn't hang around those people. Oh, you're bitter. Okay, I'll wear that label then. I'll just wear it. But you know what? I don't have to worry about my family being affected by it. And I don't have to worry no more about having ulcers because I've been hurt by those folks. So if you want to put a label on me that says, oh, you're just bitter with these people, with God's people. And I'm just telling you, I'm telling you. Because preachers will stand up behind the pulpit not knowing what's going on. And they'll see that you sit there in your seat, maybe a little disgruntled, maybe a little upset, and maybe you are bitter. And if you are bitter, I'm telling you, I can't excuse that. It's wrong. You've got to get the bitterness taken care of. You have to. But a lot of times what's going on is somebody's sitting in their pew, and they've had a load piled on their shoulders because somebody has eaten their lunch most often, family. And they're sitting there trying to process it emotionally. They're sitting there trying to process it spiritually. How do I stay right with God and reconcile this idea in my mind that I just have to stay away from these people? These people are my family. These people are Christian brothers and sisters. And they've done me wrong not once, not twice, not three times, but for the last 40 years they've done me wrong. And then a preacher stands up and says, oh, you're bitter for not having anything to do with them. You are out of your ever-loving mind. You don't know what's going on with those people. You just don't know. And I'm not, listen, listen to me. I'm not taking anybody's side in this church over a preacher's side. I'm not taking your side over a preacher's side. I will stand with the preacher. Even if he's, even if he's ignorant and he doesn't know some things, I'll stand with the preacher first and then pull him off to the side and say, Hey, you're not taking something into consideration. But I, I will tell you, I've been in the situation before where a preacher stood up and was bawling me out over having been done wrong by somebody and saying, well, you're bitter against so-and-so and wouldn't call me out by name. Thank the Lord. I appreciate him letting me have that dignity. But tell me, hey, you're not right about this, this, and this. And it took me about 10 years to process all that stuff, and I'm not bitter. You say, how do you know? Because I got joy in my heart. But boy, it sure does make me awkward when I get around those folks. Not trying to, I just leave it right there. I just leave it as it sits. You got to be prudent, folks. There are people in church that you're going to run up against, and they're idiots. I don't know how else to say it. They're just morons. 
because all they're concerned about is me. It's just about me. It's about me being in the spotlight. It's about me. And listen, I'm going I'm to shoot straight with you tonight. Some of you are so foolish that you'll go back and you'll join yourself up with those people because they're nice. They're kind. And they are. Until you make them mad again. And then here comes the horns out again. And it hasn't happened to you once. It hasn't happened to you twice. It hasn't happened to you. It's happened over an extended period of time. And somebody's, something has its hooks in you that's got you thinking, well, man, I just got to forgive and forget. And that is not prudent. Let me ask you something. When's the last time they came to you and said, hey, I'm sorry? Then I guess they're not sorry. I mean, far be it for me to jump to conclusions. That doesn't mean that you have to hold a grudge. What it does mean is it'd probably just be better for you to just leave them alone. Hey, you go your way, I'll go my way. Abraham and Lot, perfect example. Abraham and Lot. Abraham had some herdsmen. Lot had some herdsmen. They both had all this stuff. Sounds like Americans. They had all this junk. Abraham went to Lot and said, look, you got too much junk. I got too much junk. Let's just part ways. You pick the way you're going to go. I'll pick the way I'm going to go. Whatever way you pick, I'll go the opposite direction. Abraham and Lot looked up and said, I'll take that over there. The well-watered plains towards Sodom and Gomorrah. That should have told you something right there about the decision that he made. Okay, but that's what he chose. And Abraham said, fine, I'll go the other way. Well, I think that's real interesting. That Abraham said, whatever way you pick, I'll pick. If Lot would have picked the other way, you know what that means? Abraham would have picked the well-watered plains towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Man, that's a roll of the dice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's very interesting to me. Man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Here's two fellows that can't dwell together anymore. Here's two fellows that can't be together anymore. So they're going to have to split. And God gets in here and puts his finger in Lot's mind and says, you need to go over there and pick those well-watered plains towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, I don't believe God would do something like that. You're not reading your Bible. I just talked about it this morning, dealing with Micaiah. Anyways, I've got to move on because we'll hang out there forever. Yes, sir, you get, it, get yourself in a bad situation and you get burned. Well, what you should be is a little more cautious to get in that same situation next time. Just be careful. Just be careful. Get over there next to that cousin who taught you how to drink beer and smoke dope. And then turn around and got your kids smoking and got your kids doing all this devilment, chewing tobacco and, and drinking beer. I'd, I'd be a little cautious about taking my family over there to a family reunion. Oh, but Brother Nathan, they're family. That's a decision that you'll have to make. But I'm going to tell you how God looks at it. Who cares? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are you advocating that we separate ourselves from our family if you're going to get burned? Yes, sir. And I know that's tough for Southerners to take. And I, I, I'm not going to kick you in the shins over that, but I'm going to tell you, 
you're going to have to make some decisions if you want to make it as a Christian. Now, if you just want to be a nominal Christian and just come and sit on a church pew and put in $5 every week and never see God move in your church, you just keep yoking yourselves up with people that's going to hurt you in the long run. You just do what you want to do because what will happen, you yoke yourself up with some idiot one day that you've already yoked yourself up with for the last 30 years and it never ain't, it ain't never turned out right. You do it again and then this last time you get bitter and you get at church, you won't never come back and really you ain't got nobody to blame but you. Because the handwriting was on the wall, the flags were put up, the, the signs were there. And you should have just went ahead and made the decision. Not going to get myself in that situation again. And here comes old mama and sits down next to you and says, well, how come you won't have nothing? I mean, you need to come to family reunion. You need to do this. And you really need to get over that bitterness that you got in your heart. The pressure gets on then. Yes, sir. It's not bitterness. It's prudence. The prudent foresee the evil, and they say, it's coming. Well, you've been saying that for the last 10 years, and it ain't come yet, but it's coming. I've seen this before. It's coming. Hey, why don't you come on out here and come down to family reunion? Why don't you come on down here to this old-time fashioned Baptist church? No, sir. Prudent man foresees the evil and he hides himself. You're just judgmental. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I, I, I wear that label. <clears throat> you know what a stove is? You ever, seen, you ever seen it glow red hot, a little burner up there? What happens when you put your hand on it? It gets burned. Yes, sir. Your hand gets burned real bad. You are judgmental. And that's good. It's judgmental. I put my hand up there, got a hold of one of these churches that said that they was old-timey. But you know, I didn't get more spiritual. I got more carnal. I didn't get closer to God. I got out of God's will sitting in one of these old-timey Baptist churches. No, sir. I'm not going back. Hey, we got revival meeting down there at that church. Well, you know, if it's a preacher that we have in here, I'll go there and endure all the singing and endure all the foolishness to hear the preaching. But I'm not going down there for a fellowship meeting. I just ain't. You say, why? It doesn't produce the same thing. It's not the same. Hey, why don't you get Miss Heidi and Miss Joyce and y'all come down here and sing a trio down at our church? No. Well, you must not love those people. I pray for them every day. Don't tell me I don't love them. I love them. I really do. I want to see them succeed. And I'm not just saying that kind of stuff just because I'm trying to be bravado. You know, there's going to come a day where I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and they are too. Buddy... I want to see him stand before God with something. There ain't ne'er one of you or me going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ watching your brother get ripped to shreds by the one that died for him. You're not going to stand there and say, Hallelujah, he finally gets what's coming to him. You're going to be weeping. You're going to be concerned about that thing. I don't, know, I don't even know if you'll see. 
I, I don't even know if you'll see somebody else's judgment seat. God have mercy if you see mine. I, I hope it's private. I really do. And there's some indications that it might be. But boy, I, I'm not going to be rejoicing. If I get to see somebody who says they're old-timey, Brother Tommy, and they're really not, they're this newfangled garbage of letting all this contemporary junk come in, oh, we're old-fashioned. It's funny how everybody gets old-fashioned when an old-fashioned preacher's in town. And then as soon as he leaves, everything's this newfangled garbage. Yes, sir. There's going to come a day, going to come a day where folks is going to answer for that kind of stuff. And I'm not, and you're not going to be standing there saying, they finally got what's coming to them, although it's true. Yes, sir. It's true. Let me give you one last illustration. I think I've made the point tonight. Prudence, my point, my point tonight is that prudence is not bitterness. It's not bitterness. Let me give you one illustration and we'll close. I'll give you a biblical illustration. David and Saul. Need I say more? I hope you know the history of David and Saul. Saul becomes king. He disobeys the Lord in, a, in two different areas, two specific different areas. God says your kingdom's not, the first time God says your kingdom's not going to go any farther. And then the second time God says, you're not king anymore. He didn't get kicked off the throne. But he wasn't king anymore. You know why? He didn't have no power. He didn't have no control. And you know what made him understand he didn't have no control? It was when a bunch of ladies came out one day with timbrels and dances. I about fell off that thing. They came out with timbrels and with dances and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And you know what Saul did? Saul got jealous. This guy's a threat to me. I thought you was the king, man. Listen, that king of Israel, I don't know about kings of England, but that king of Israel, when God puts you on that throne, you're king until God gets done with you. You basically, not quite, well, yeah, I guess I will say it. You're invincible. David's a classic example of that. David go out and fight against the Philistines. Nothing for him to kill 200 Philistines single-handedly. That was a dowry present for his father-in-law to get his wife. I'd be dead if my father-in-law required that of me. I just, I mean, you see my scrawny arms. That's David, king. Well, I thought, I thought, I thought you was in control, Saul. He's not in control. David is Saul's personal musician. And Saul in time past, would have David play and this evil spirit from God. From God. That's what the scripture says. The evil spirit from God would trouble Saul and David would play with his harp on this. He would play with his hands on the harp and that evil spirit would flee away from him. And then he'd come back and then David would have to play again. That was, that, that was Saul's personal musician. And so David gets out there one day and he starts playing like he usually does and Saul's got a javelin in his hand and he goes, whoo! smites the wall behind David and David runs out of his presence. Yeah. So some things take place and it all settles down like it has in your family before and ha like it has with church folks that you've gone around before. So it all settles down and so you go back and you get back in there just like David and Saul. Forgive. Forgive and forget. So he gets in there and one day he's playing with his harp and the second time you know what David says? 
I ain't doing this again. He goes out into a field and Jonathan comes out there, Saul's boy, and he says, why is your dad trying to kill me? He said, my dad ain't trying to kill you. David said, you must be brain dead. Let me tell you a couple of stories. But they go through this thing and Jonathan says, I'll tell you what, got this feast coming up. He says, we'll go in there and I'll sit down at this feast and we'll have all this stuff. And he said, I'll tell you what my daddy's attitude towards you. That was the whole incident with if, if I shoot my arrows and I tell the boy that's going to retrieve my arrows, hey, the arrows are beyond you. Things are not good. You need to go. If I say the arrows are on this side of you, then things are okay. You can come back. And sure enough, they get down there. They sit at the feast. Nothing's going on. David, Saul doesn't see David. And he says, well, he must be unclean. Maybe that's why he can't come to the feast. Next day, David not there. Hey, where's David? Well, you know, he went back to this feast at home. He had this thing where his family has a yearly sacrifice. And Saul balls Jonathan out. And Jonathan said, what has David ever done to you? Saul picks up a javelin and... You know what David does that time? He doesn't say, well, I, I guess I should just forgive and forget. That is imprudent. Imprudent, imprudent, whatever. It's not prudent. You know what David does? He packs his bags and he goes to Achish and he hangs out there in despair, discouraged, distressed, and he hangs out. You say, how long? Until Saul died. David had two opportunities to take care of the situation himself. Saul came in to cover his feet. That means to use the restroom in a cave. That's what it is. And his boy said, hey, here's your chance. Take his head off. And he goes up there and he grabs part of Saul's skirt. That's crazy. Grabs part of Saul's skirt and cuts it off. And as soon as he did it, his heart smote him. God said, you better not put your hand on that fellow. That's my job. David said, oh. But he's crazy. Saul's crazy. David, you're the king. Can't put my hand on him. Another time they go down and they get down there with Abner and Saul and they're down in this little valley. They're down there in this little valley and all of Saul's men is asleep. And the Bible said that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon on them, all of them. And I believe it was Abishai. Abishai was a crazy fella, Joab's brother. And they get down there and Abishai says, here's your chance, man. Here's your golden opportunity. Isn't it all? Of course, he didn't say it that loud because they was asleep. But they say, hey, here's your chance, man. You can end it right here. And he said, I just read it today. I just read it today in 1 Samuel. David said, no, sir. He said, I'm not going to put my hand on the Lord's anointed. He said, the day's going to come where God's going to kill him or he's going to fall in battle or he's just going to die. He said, let God's hand be against him, not mine. But you know what David did not do? David never went back to Jerusalem. He never went back to Israel where Saul was. He stayed away. I guess David was just bitter. He's just a bitter man. Well, I don't know. I mean, he wrote quite a bit of the book of Psalms. He looked like a fellow that was in fellowship with God to me. He looked like a, a fellow who knew how to praise God, who knew how to worship God. Didn't look like he's too bitter to me. Looked like he's enjoying God's presence. It's unfortunate. And listen, I'll leave you with this. I hate it, man. I really hate it. But I hope you understand as a Christian, there, you're going to find out that there's some folks in this Christian life you're just not going to be able to fellowship with. And some of you are not people persons. And you have an okay time with that. I can live with that. 
Some of you are social butterflies, and you have a hard time reckoning in your mind, man, these folks are just bad for me. They're bad for me to be around. And I just can't be around them. If I want to go on with God, these folks are going to cause me to get bitter with God. So I'm just going to stay away from them. And in your mind, understandably, there is an emotional, an emotional mental turmoil that goes on, and you have got to figure out how to process that stuff, and you ain't going to process it without that book. You just ain't going to process it. But all I'm trying to tell you tonight, the main point of the sermon, the main thrust of the sermon is that prudence is not bitterness. It's not bitterness in defense of prudence. It's right to be cautious. Get yoked up with some folks that burn you in the past and somebody says, oh, you're not forgiving them. You've got to forgive and forget. You're nuts. Especially if they never said, I'm sorry. And we can preach another sermon about if they say, I'm sorry. We preach another sermon. But that's not the message tonight. I ain't done nothing wrong. Okay. If you ain't done nothing wrong, then we should probably just part ways. I love you, and I'm going to be praying for you. And listen, if you ain't praying for them, you've got to get that right. Some of you might be dealing with bitterness tonight, and the reason that you're dealing with bitterness is because you're really not praying for them, whoever they might be. Get to the place. If you can't make a visit to an altar tonight, make a visit at the altar in your house and say, God, help me to be concerned about these folks when they stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ. Might take some time. God can help you. Lord, help us tonight. God, Lord, went a little bit long. God, a little bit longer than I thought. But God, Lord, I trust you. God, I believe, Lord, that that's what you wanted preached. And God, I pray you'd help folks tonight. God, these are your people. Not mine, God. They're your people. God, I thank you for the chance, God, to try and minister to them. Lord, I pray you help them. God, touch them. God, uphold them. God, folks, Lord, I don't know what they're dealing with. I just don't know. But God, I know that you know, God, and I know you can help. God, help me, Lord. I pray, God, that you'd help me, Lord, to give them, Lord, feed them, God, what they need. God, these folks that have responded tonight, come down around an altar. God, I pray you'd minister to them. God, folks may be sitting in their seat, just didn't want to come. God, I pray you help them. God, Lord, I know you got the answers. God, I know your book's got the answers. I ain't got all the answers, but God, I know you got them, Lord, right here in your book. God, help people to have confidence in your word. Well, thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Some folks have come tonight. Why don't you come and do business with God if he spoke to you? Pray right there in your seat. Do business with the Lord as he leads.